Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We'll start off with show notes. We have our evening with medium events coming up in August 24th, which is already sold out, but tickets are still on sale for our December 14th event. And tickets will be on sale very soon for our 2019 events, so you can stay tuned for that. We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity, which is strictly available on the website by sarlo.com under podcasts. So you can head over there once a month, Monday through Friday at the beginning of every month to listen to little tidbits as you're hearing Sips of Sanity, tools for your emotional intelligence and intuitive intelligence. Kelly, what did we do for June? What's up right now? The universal laws. Oh, yes. I knew I was excited about something. Okay, go. And last but not least, we have personal sessions and gift certificates available, which can be purchased directly through Karen or myself, and you can request these through the website bysarlo.com as well. You can purchase treatments or gift cards at any denomination and gift them to anyone anywhere in the world as well. Mm-hmm. So on to today's show. Yes. Are we ready to go? Today's topic is how grief changes us. And I picked this topic, Kel. Be it for a variety of reasons. I don't believe that we're actually experts on it, but I do believe we have a fair amount to contribute, wearing different hats through different experiences in your life and in mine. One of them being that we've gone through our own grieving processes when we've had our own losses. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you and I have a funeral home in our background where my dad, your grandpa, and great-grandfather, and then my two brothers, your uncles, have all owned a funeral home for a hundred years. And lastly, we're mediums. We're good people to talk to about death. And what we hear differently, perhaps, eh, Cal, from the spirit world, I would say sometimes, you know, like we can look around us and see what we're learning from someone around us who's going through grief. But we also get to hear from the spirit world what they see or how they can contribute to healing that causes further change in the process for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think today's show is going to be exciting because it can incorporate all kinds of stories for people. I think my first story can start with a man that I can recall who came through, Kelly, that was talking to me to his surviving children where he was explaining to them how he buffered their mother's abuse when he was alive. And so when he was here on earth, the narcissistic mom, or I'll say just a very abusive mom in a variety of ways, had her way with those kids, uh, even through adult life. Got her way? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's an expression. Had her way. Meaning, yes, it got her way. And he made sure she did. He helped her get her way. He wanted to keep the peace. So he would shame the children. He would manipulate them. He would cover for her. He lied for her flat out to not just the kids, but complete strangers for any reason he wanted to make sure that peace was okay between the two of them. So in the grieving process, when they he was removed, It allowed the children to see their mother for who she really was. It allowed them to see that when he was no longer part of the triangle in the family, that the kids were allowed to get together and say, "Mm, 
we don't want to do this anymore. It was a, a point of change. And I think that's one of the things grief can give us an opportunity or a time for reflection and a, and a time to take a different action. A time to be able to speak to siblings or other people to validate what your experience has been and to say, and now at this point, there's an end to it. So sometimes grief or the loss of somebody is not just the ending of their life, but it can be the end of the abuse, the end of the triangling, the end of the patterns, the behaviors, the collusion, and so on. So it can be a really wonderful opportunity for change. And then the flip side of it can be is that it's not. Yeah, as I was listening to your points, I was thinking about how it can be the complete opposite, where it can be walking on eggshells thinking this is a time of grief, I can't further upset someone. And so we can stay or be further immersed in patterns because we can't ruffle feathers. We can't afford to tip them over the edge of grief. Yes, I, I, I really like how you did the exact opposite of what I, did, what I did. Because he comes through to say that his kids got together to say a time of change. Yeah, and I love that this is the first story too, especially coming off the first week of June being our Sips of Sanity Universal Laws because we talked about accountability. And what you're talking about in this example is a father or a partner, husband, who held no one in his family accountable to their own standards of integrity, to their own standards of kindness or love. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so he came through in that session that day in a medium session to say, well, holy crap, I did a really shitty job parenting. I did a really shitty job of being a human being, a decent human being. So now I'm going to sit here and tell all of my kids, I'm sorry. I'm going to stand here in my dead body and be able to say from the spiritual place, I'm sorry. What can that now give my children? And they sat there and went, yeah, we're going we're gonna to take that. They sat together as a group and said, what do we want to do? And one of them just sat right up and said, I'm done. Don't ever want to talk to her again. Interesting too, because if the wife at this point connects the dots that the husband was always the one to reinforce my way or the highway, which was hers, and he's no longer here to keep the kids in line with her desires or demands, then she now has to figure out, huh, my temper tantrums might not do the trick. <laughs> I might need to change in order to keep my relationship with my children, any relationship with my children. Or she could hunker down and go harder at it. Right. We're going to go devil's advocate back and forth. Is that good with you? You go one way, I'll go the other, so people can listen to two sides to everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I think some people can listen to this and, and hope for one side that we present and then see that the family is stuck in the opposite. Yes. He pointed out truthfulness to his children. And I think that's something that's relevant here, is that he comes in to say the truth about certain things that the family is missing altogether because of mom's behavior. And dad's. Yes. And now he says, here's the truth for all of you. It's like a gift. What would you like to do with it? It's a choice point. 
And it's a choice point for all of those adult children to be able to stand up and individuate from that mom, individuate from the father who's deceased. And I still want people to hear that we can have a parent or a partner deceased and we still haven't stopped or started to individuate. We haven't disentangled ourselves from them or their beliefs. They still affect our lives. Our identity is still wrapped up in who we are in relation to them. Yeah. We might even mimic them. Because what they did worked. So we might, one of the kids in the family might do the very same thing. And the other children and the spouses may see that one child in that family or several of them mimic the parents' behaviors. And they might have to sit there and go, geez, I mimic my dad. When my mom abuses one of my siblings, I don't stand up either. By silence, I am like my father. By lack of action, by lack of accountability, I am too. So in that grieving process, what grief can do for us is help us to become aware of who or what parent we're modeling, even if we don't think we are. All of this can create such a feeling of being in a fog, whether you're that mom that's lost the spouse or you're those children. And I hear often from people, especially in the sessions, Kelly, how they feel they're in a fog, generally speaking, when they're grieving. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be fresh grief. Correct. Yeah. That can be year-long, two-year-long grief. Yes. I think it's fair for some people to say that they feel that way forever after they've lost somebody. I'm, I'm damn certain that I will when you pass. Okay. And I think that's fair to say because I think a lot of people have the person in their life that they think life won't go on without you. Yeah. Or it will never be the same. Mm -hmm. And it truly is not the same when we lose somebody who is substantial to us. Yeah, someone who is a sounding board, what we consider to be a rock, someone that we rely on for just even emotional support when we know how to make our own decisions. Mm -hmm. I think too, for some people, that fog is the first time that they actually have clarity about their life. Yeah, break this down a little bit more. I really like that point, but I don't think a lot of people will get that right off the bat because we're saying fog and we're saying clarity. Well, if you're a narcissist and you sit in that space of everything has to be about me, 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 and a spouse passes away and say now you feel like you're in a fog, part of your fog could be that, geez, now I don't have the same thoughts I used to have. It's not all about me. My kids are grieving. I have to see my children's needs. And that is sometimes what they describe as their fog. I'm not just focusing on myself anymore. I'm in, I'm in somebody else's reality. I'm actually connecting to other people. What is this? Oh, and I hope this doesn't come out rude. And if it does, I guess it'll serve its own purpose. I would assume that grief would not pull them out of their own narcissism or self-absorption. That it would be, meet my needs, I'm the one grieving, and hang on to the title of who they are in relation to the person who died. I am the widow. I am the widower. I am the son. 
I guess if you're really out of severe level of narcissism, that would absolutely be true, Kelly. But maybe we should stress for people that narcissistic behavior is a pendulum. And it and it does swing. And it's a spectrum. There are people that are on it severely that you're talking about that it would never change. And then there are people that are to lesser degrees. And for those people that are at lesser degrees, this might be something that kind of cracks that egg. I would hope. Well, because the process of, of grieving can bring about our change. It's, it can be the catalyst that forces us outside of thinking of ourselves when we might see our child that can't get over grieving. They might show up and say, I had to take a leave of absence, mom, from work because I'm grieving over dad's loss. And mom might have to sit there and go, oh, I didn't know you were that upset that you can't go to work every day. I didn't know that. So it can change a person's awareness of the people around them. And if I go back to that sense of now I'm feeling like I'm in a fog, the fog means that I don't just think of my own needs anymore. I'm thinking of other people's. This is weird for me. This is not my norm. And that's what I hear as being described as being in a fog for some people. Can I switch gears? Totally. I want to talk about the people who may have felt like their identity was wrapped up in the person who passed for whatever need, if they were the full-time caretaker. It could be a codependent thing. It could also be a mandatory kind of necessity situation where the fog that lifts is their own freedom. Mm. And while we can experience loss, Mm -hmm. we can experience grief, we still have this feeling of my life might be coming back now. My life might be mine again. Mm -hmm. Or, and you said again, Kelly, so that would mean that they had it at one time. Yeah, or for the first time. And I was just going to add to that, what you just said, that Mm -hmm. for some people, the fog is, I'm actually in my own life for the first time. Mm -hmm. This is uncomfortable. This is different. This is challenging. This is scary. This is a bunch, it's exciting. It's a bunch of different feelings. And that is what my definition of my fog is yeah is that it's a culmination of a lot of emotions mm -hmm. and that fog can even be consisted or brought on by the fact that maybe you went to work full-time eight to four nine to five every day and immediately after work you spent time at the nursing home visiting because it's the only time you could get in before visiting hours closed and now your routine is broken even if you weren't caretaker but it was just a majority of your free time that's mm-hmm. been taken up. Mm-hmm. The, there is a fog that exists when our routine has to shake. Yeah. And unbelievably, I'll, no, let me change that. Believably, a fog can exist when we just don't know what we think or when we don't know who we are or what we want or what we believe. Because when our partner dies, they're not there to say what to think or what to believe or what to do. And that's our, again, another definition of someone's grief or fog. But it's a great opportunity to say, okay, I might be scared in this process, but mm, what do I like? What do I want to do? I'm bored. I'm, I'm all of these different things. How do I take a step? And that, again, as you said earlier, Kelly, goes back to those universal laws. And I think that's a great time for people to maybe hit the pause button 
go over to Sips of Sanity and listen to those and then come back and join us again. When you talk about that person who we've lost being the one to maybe tell us what to do or think or how to fill our time, it doesn't even have to be about control. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to the example that I gave that maybe you go to work for the full day and then you go visit mom or dad in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And perhaps they are the one that you debrief with. Yeah. And you become so used to used to the way that they listen, used to the way or the pattern that you debrief, used to the questions that mm-hmm. they ask you. And now you might have to go home after work to your partner and figure out how to communicate all over again. Because maybe in those couple of years that you spent with your parents, you didn't debrief with your partner. Maybe you did it after work with the parent. And by the time you got home, it was about the kids. It was about home routine. Mm-hmm. And so you're now missing this debriefing period in your in your day. And the way that you speak, the way that you're listened to has to shift. And that's something that you then have to get used to all over again. Mm-hmm. And you may have to teach. Yeah. You may have to say, this isn't the same. This doesn't meet my needs. Can you do this? So when we go through grieving, I think we can be challenged to know what our needs are. And I think we can like it. Because if we if yeah. we have the idea that this person, you know, maybe it was mom or dad, listened in a certain way and always asked the same questions, we might think that that did meet our needs for so long. Mm-hmm. And perhaps our partner asks something different or in a different way. And we think, oh, well, I didn't know how to word it that way. Or I didn't think about it from that perspective. It can, like you said, it can challenge us to learn and to teach. Well, I guess what I'm hearing from you, Kelly, is that and during this conversation, is that grief and the grief process can give us opportunities to see where we have very fixed ideas around things and where we are, if we, if we are open to figuring out new ways of doing things. Yes, grief and forces us to begin again. Yeah, and, and to begin communicating. What I'm hearing you say is that we also have to communicate. We are now going to be challenged because of that one loss how are we communicating with other people? And as you said, that it can be a fun process to do. This doesn't have to be all painful, pulling teeth type of thing. Mm-hmm. It can allow us to figure out how do I want to communicate with somebody? How do I want them to listen to me? How do I convey to them if they're doing it well or they're not doing it well? Mm-hmm. And boy, you talk about other relationships that could grow from that. that and you could have many that get better. You can have all of your relationships changing then. So let's move into the next point that I know you want to make. And it it kind of goes backwards into a different type of fog. Yes, it does. Because it's it's a very common thing, especially at the beginning. It's being forgetful. It's not being able to stay and concentrate where we can go back to work and be able to complete a task. And then the employers are wondering why we're not focused. And so we're not talking about forgetfulness in terms of verbal abuse. No. We're not talking about forgetfulness in terms of control Mm -hmm. or codependence. That's right. We're just talking about it in a state of grief. Yeah. And, and, And being forgetful because our mind is with them. Our mind is on our loss. Our mind is on our fears. It's on our changes. It's on our opportunities. Good things, middle ground things, 
and scary things. It's kind of it's kind of like watching all the ducks and making sure they don't fall too far out of line. Mhm. Cuz you could you could be back at work and love your work but be forgetful because you're nervous about going home at the end of the day mm-hmm. because there's nobody there to have dinner with you. You now have to sit at the table by yourself. I love that example. So y- your whole thank you. And I hope that really hits a lot of people that are listening that knows somebody is going through a grieving process, even if it's five years after their child has died. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good that you pointed it out with this particular one, because I think some people, when they generalize grief, can think it's about sadness. Mm-hmm. And you're pointing out that it's very much about anxiousness. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because it, it, and and I, I thank you. I, I do think that's a very good example. And I want to go a little bit further into that one, actually, for some of the people that I've met where there's a family or there is a couple where they've lost a child and where they still are in the same situation. They go to work and people think they're they're okay because they have other kids in the house or they have their partner with them, but they don't understand that there's still this anxiety over the one person that's missing. And so we think they should be okay. They should be all right. They've got other people there, but they're not. There's still an, a sense of anxiety. There's still that forgetfulness in all of the other aspects of their life because their mind is focused on a problem they can't, I'll say they can't solve yet. That they might not have a tool how to cope with that. And a tool could be that maybe you sit down and you listen to a podcast while you're having dinner. Maybe you listen to music or you read a book while you're eating your dinner or you have a show that you like or you invite people f- uh, to socialize during dinner time or you pack up your supper and you eat it at a waterfront or at a waterfall with nature because we don't all like humans. Correct. Some of us aren't looking to be around other humans when we're grieving. Sometimes being around pets is better for us or nature or being around human beings but not having to talk to them mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be around humans I'm lonely but it doesn't mean I want to engage and speak to them so I'm going to bring my lunch and pack it and go sit a public place near people near people but please don't approach me <laughs> and and that might be a part of solving that problem for good or it could just even be a step until the day when someone approaches you and speaks to you and you're ready or you create the conversation and and it's okay to recognize that in grieving in loss that we can take steps and sometimes we don't realize that that whole forgetfulness thing we can still go to work maybe go part-time or we can go to work and approach our co-workers and say I'm grieving and I'm forgetful. It's not that I don't want to be here. It's not that I don't want to serve the public. It's not that I don't want to be a nurse or a teacher. But I'm grieving. And it's, I'm my mind is on other things. It's on a fear of going home. Or we might not even want to say what it's on. But we want to be able to acknowledge and say, I know I'm being forgetful. So I will double check my work. Or could somebody do check-ins with me? Could somebody check in on me? But please bring it to my attention. Don't talk behind my back. Don't discipline me. Don't fire me. Don't ignore me. 
don't dance around me. It's, it has to become an invitation to communicate or we get isolated. And then the problems get worse. And I think it's difficult for the people around us who are, are there and meant to be our support system where their fear comes from, I don't want to trigger her grief or his grief. If I ask and I check in and they're doing fine, am I going to send them backwards? But that has to be part of how you communicate. To be able to say, is this a good time to check in with you? When would you like to? Or you're not checking in with anybody. It's been three weeks. I'm concerned. Do you have somebody else you're checking in with and you just don't need me? Or are you avoiding it and we need to deal with it? Do you need therapy? So in the grieving process, it becomes apparent to people around us that we have different needs that need to be met. Mm -hmm. People are forced to see us differently. Yeah. I know that's happened for me, Kelly, where there was a particular person I didn't like very much. Because of their behaviors, I don't, I don't, well, it doesn't matter why. But when they went through grieving and the loss of somebody very, very close to them, I was able to feel more compassion. I was able to slow myself down and see that, hmm, I know what it's like to go through that. I can connect to that. And that's good because if I don't like them and there's no other real reason for me to connect to them, sometimes grieving is good enough. It is because it makes you feel your own emotions. It allows you to observe theirs. And it might open you up just for even for a brief period of time to see what they're going through. If there's change in them, if that becomes an opportunity to connect again. If I think to that particular experience too, Kelly, it allowed me to see that particular person go from being somebody whom I might say had some weaker qualities to somebody who went through the grieving process and came out of it much stronger. And stronger in the sense of, understanding who they were because their partner passed, being able to communicate differently because the partner didn't buffer it, which allowed them an opportunity then to actually speak directly to me instead of through the partner. So it can change everything. It can change all of the dynamics if you're open to observing it, whether it's yourself going through it or somebody else. I really like that you brought up this topic today, Karen, because we're talking about connecting to others in their grieving process mm -hmm. and being aware of what people go through, whether you've directly or indirectly experienced a loss of someone. And grief is something that we have heavily disconnected from, if not entirely on a global scale. We are watching thousands of people being taken off this planet by other humans on a daily basis and we don't seem to be able to connect to the grief that is in other countries mm -hmm. to the grief that's within our own cities mm -hmm. to the grief of the animals that we're losing mm -hmm. and the pain that we're experiencing as a planet mm -hmm. it's an opportunity isn't it kelly for people to recognize that we are a grieving planet but that means we have a planet of opportunity mm -hmm. that we have a chance to connect again through the grief that we can find similarities in it. We can find common goals in it. 
Yes, because if you're saying that grief can be a catalyst for change, and we're talking about on an individual level in a one-on-one relationship, then why can't grief be a catalyst for us to realize maybe we're doing something wrong? Right. Because hopefully what grief is going to do too, to each of us in our own experience here, is crack whatever egg we're in, where we stay stuck in our own mindset or our own beliefs about our experience. Because if you go back to every point that we've made, maybe we are looking at someone the wrong way. Maybe we are treating someone the wrong way. Maybe we are carrying ourselves the wrong way. And that's Mm -hmm. causing the grief of the living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to me, If we want to sum it all up, grief is an opportunity if we want it to be one. And sometimes even when we don't want it to be, it's forced upon us. And thank the universe that it gets forced upon every one of us. And I think that's one of the things that we really have to come to realize and we want to avoid on a daily basis. When we see somebody else grieving, we, so many of us, don't want to participate. We want to, as you said, disconnect. But every one of us has to go through that process at some time. Just like death itself, we can't avoid it. We all experience it. Even if we don't want to be around any humans, we can experience it with the loss of careers, health issues, jobs, finances, pets, in any way, shape or form how we experience it. It's an opportunity for connection. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Thank you for today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at bysarlo.com. Otherwise, have a wonderful Saturday.